Hi everyone. Going forward, I'm going to start having a couple of trailers for my fellow friends in the podcasting world. We often give our time for free, so please give some of them a try. I promise not to take up more than three minutes of your time with these trailers, so if you want to skip forward to the episode, please do so. But you may miss out on some absolute gems. Thank you for your time, and I'll speak to you on the other side. From the brilliant creative minds that brought you Keep Drinking, It'll Get Better, and the Real Housewives of Hillcrest Nursing Home comes the podcast that people are raving about. Hi, this is Edward October for OctoberPodVHS.com, here to tell you what people are saying about our true crime podcast. A thread store in Arizona says, too much dribble and slang. These ladies obviously enjoy their own humor and sound high. Hey, at least they called you ladies. Benny from Idaho says, your topics are so appealing, but a three-person pod is difficult enough to follow without banter. Um, our true crime podcast only has two people? Wait, 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 wait. Where's the other 100 five-star reviews? Can somebody give me the five-star reviews? Okay, here we go. Much better. Luscious Lee says, stand up. Five stars. You girls are funny AF. I especially love the me and Mrs. Jones rendition you sneak into the recording. Cherry G 107 says, I struggle finding a new podcast, and so far, I've been hooked to you guys' podcasts. Keep up the good work. Thumbs up, thumbs up, smiley face. Our true crime podcast, two girls, one story, and lots of bad renditions of songs you love. Available on your favorite podcatcher. Go binge it today. I'm Michael, the host of the semi-monthly podcast in a city like yours. Join me as I chat with interesting people with interesting life stories. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow us on Twitter at IACLYS Podcast, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at In a City Like Yours Podcast. Please feel free to let me know what you think, and keep coming back for the many interesting stories in a city like yours. What a van, what a van, what a van, what a mighty good van sales. Can I help you? Yes, we're looking for a van. Any special features? Oh, child locks. We don't want to lose anyone. No windows. That's for privacy. And no carpet or seats. We want to be able to hose it out. Roomy. There's going to be a lot of moving around in there. All right, what's this van going to be used for, ladies? <laughs> like everybody else, we're doing a podcast. I'm Jennifer Sandwich. I'm Mel Spells. And I'm a not culpable Acadia Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> we're the hosts of Yikes Murder and Stuff, a not safe for work podcast where every week we'll bring you stories of true murder, international crimes, and abnormal psychology. If that sounds like something you're into, then put your headphones on and hop in our nondescript windowless van and come see the puppies. Yikesmurderandstuff.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's safe for work if you work at a construction site. <laughs> True Crime Fix is a podcast with adult themes and graphic descriptions of crime which may not be considered suitable for all ages. Please use your discretion when listening. All research has been conducted using material in the public domain and some opinions may not be that of the author or the host. Please remember that all victims are someone's loved one and all episodes are recorded 
in the utmost respect of their memory. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the True Crime Fix podcast with Stevie B. Everyone does it, I bet. On a cold winter's day, staring longingly out of the window, wishing that you could be somewhere warm. Or sitting at your desk and dreaming of a new life for yourself, somewhere exotic. Travelling the world, sampling new cuisine and experiencing new cultures. One of my friends has just done that exact thing. Moving to picturesque Washington just on the outskirts of Seattle, from the hustle and bustle of West London to start a new life for herself and her new husband. Lisa and Tyler, I raise my glass of Ribena to you and a massive congratulations. I have been backpacking across Europe myself with my sister for three weeks in 2014 and apart from my wedding day, it was the best experience of my life. One moment walking down the Champs de Lycée towards the Arc de Triomphe from the Eiffel Tower in Paris, to seeing the Colosseum and the Vatican City in Rome, and then three days later, experiencing the sombre atmosphere of Auschwitz and Birkenau in Poland. Alas, my amigos, madame et monsieur, I have not abandoned the idea of doing a true crime podcast in order to release my lonely planet guide to Copenhagen. Although you do need to experience Edvard Eriksson's Little Mermaid, Tivoli Gardens and Nyhaven in the Sunshine. However, I am using this as a segue into our eighth case together. The dream of starting a new life abroad and actually making a difference to other people. Ladies and gentlemen, please ensure that your tray tables are in the upright position and your seatbelt is securely fastened as we are en route to the land of the rising sun. This is your true crime fix. I am your host Steve, and this episode has been written in memory of Lindsay Hawker. Lindsay Ann Hawker was born on the 30th of December 1984 in the city of Coventry, which is in the English Midlands, and it is just over 22 miles away from the industrial centre of Birmingham. Lindsay was the second of three daughters for Bill Hawker, who owned his own driving school, and Julia Hawker, who was a policy advisor for the Transport of London. Lindsay's eldest sister was Lisa, who was three years older than her, and her younger sister was Louise, who was two years younger. They were all very close. The family was actually from Brandon, which is a village on the outskirts of Coventry. The village contains a number of old cottages, one pub and the Coventry Stadium, which is used for speedway and greyhound racing. Lindsay was educated at King Henry VIII's school in Coventry. Lindsay was described as a bright student with an infectious enthusiasm She embraced life and was popular amongst fellow pupils and staff alike. Despite her academic success, she was known for her cheerful demeanour 
and according to our head teacher, lived life to the full. On completion of her A-levels, in biology, history and computing, she decided that she was going to study biology at the University of Leeds, starting in September 2003, graduating with a first-class honours degree. I suppose that's why I identify with this case, as Lindsay was only a couple of months older than me and graduated university when I did in 2006, but not at the same university, may I add. After graduating, Lindsay decided that she was going to take a gap year prior to starting her master's degree. The ambitious 22-year-old was eager to see the world and decided that she would start with Japan and would teach English out there as she always had a desire to educate others. So in October 2006, Lindsay boarded a plane for Tokyo to begin her new adventure. Upon her arrival, she got herself a job teaching English with the Nova Language School in the suburb of Koiwa. The Nova Group was founded in August 1981. The company was the largest employer of foreign nationals in Japan, employing 7,000 foreign workers, 5,000 of whom were employed as language instructors. Each year, Nova hired between 2,500 and 2,600 foreign teachers to replace those who had left. Although instructors were not required to have actual educational training, the company provided a salary bonus for teachers with an accredited Teaching English as a Foreign Language Certificate, any master's degree or a degree in education. Teachers were hired directly after university graduation with any degree that allowed them to obtain a work visa. The Nova Language School was, at the time, the largest private English conversational school in Japan. Coming from a village back home, it took Lindsay a couple of months to adjust to the hustle and bustle of a foreign city as fast-paced as Tokyo. Lindsay was staying in accommodation that she was sharing with a couple of other female teachers who also worked at the language school, one of which was an unnamed English lady and the other was Nicole Primer, who was Canadian. Although she was miles away from home, Lindsay made a conscious effort to either email, Skype or telephone on a daily basis. After a few months, she started to settle in and made plans with her boyfriend, Ryan Garside, who she had been with for four years, to come out and visit her. Ryan jumped at the chance and brought a ticket to Tokyo to join her a few weeks later. The pair planned to save money before travelling the world. Like many young couples, they dreamt of starting a family and marriage was on the horizon. Ryan Garside said of Lindsay that she was the best thing in my life. He had planned to propose. Everything appeared to be falling into place for the 22-year-old. In order to get to work, Lindsay cycled from her flat to Nishi Funabashi Station and took the Tokyo Metro train 
The train that she took was called the Tozai Line train, which is line number five. It runs from Nishifunabashi in the east of the city to Nakano in the west. On the 20th of March 2007, on her way home from work at approximately 11.50pm, Lindsay was approached by a 28-year-old man who introduced himself as Tatsuya Ichihashi. As they were almost at the terminus, Lindsay barely acknowledged him and left the train. He at first asked Lindsay if she was his English teacher. Lindsay stated that she was not sure and as she left Ichihashi followed her as she cycled home trying to make conversation. When they arrived back to the flat that she shared, he asked if he could come in for a glass of water. Lindsay, who was always kind to people, felt sorry for him and allowed him inside her flat, but made sure that her two flatmates were aware that he was there and made sure that both of them had seen him as a precaution. After he had had his drink, Ichihashi drew a sketch of Lindsay and signed it with his name, telephone number and email address and again asked her for a private English lesson and offered to pay her for her time. As her employer allowed her to take private lessons in addition to her contracted hours and it was some extra cash towards her dream of travelling around the world, she agreed. The pair arranged to meet for an English lesson at a cafe in the city four days later. That night, Lindsay referred to the incident in a message to her friends and family on her Facebook page. She wrote, Love you lots. Don't worry about the guy who chased me home. It's just crazy Japan. Miss you. Kiss, kiss, kiss. It was the last thing she'd ever post on social media. Lindsay and Ichihashi met on Saturday the 24th of March 2007 in a cafe in the east of Tokyo. CCTV showed the pair together for their lesson. Afterwards, Ichihashi apologised as the cash that he had promised her in payment for the lesson agreed at 3,500 yen, which is about £24, had been left at his flat, but offered to go back and get it and she could come with him and then continue the journey in the cab to her home. Sensing no ulterior motive, Lindsay agreed to go with him. The pair finished up and hailed a taxi to Ichihashi's apartment. Tatsuya Ichihashi's apartment in Ichikawa City, which is in the east of Tokyo and was under a kilometre away from the coffee shop. Upon arrival, Lindsay asked the taxi driver to wait for a short time and went to the apartment to retrieve the money. However, when Lindsay failed to return seven minutes later, the taxi driver left. He assumed that she'd changed her mind about the ongoing journey. The next day, however, Lindsay did not turn up for work, nor did she turn up the day after that. 
As a result, her employer called Lindsay's dad, who was listed as her emergency contact. Lindsay's mum, Julia, was already concerned as she had attempted communication with her daughter on the 24th via email and text, but had not received a response. Alarmed by her absence and the lack of contact with her family, Nova reported Lindsay missing at 2.30pm on the 26th of March to the Japanese police. Lindsay's friends had tried to contact the police via the Japanese embassy in England, but the message was not conveyed to the proper authorities within the department. Lindsay Hawker was now officially a missing person. As a result of her going missing, Lindsay's father, Bill, and her boyfriend, Ryan, made plans to fly out to Tokyo to assist with the search. The concern was growing. To start the search, the police visited Lindsay's flat that she shared with the two other women. When they interviewed the ladies, they were told about the awkward meeting which Lindsay had had a few days prior. Police conducted an initial search of the flat and upon finding Ichihashi's sketch, which he had given to Lindsay and his contact telephone number, police officers decided to gather a team to visit his flat that evening. Two officers were dispatched and they reached Ichihashi's apartment at 5.40pm. They were told they were not permitted to knock without reason to do so. The officers were instructed to maintain surveillance of the property only. The officers noticed somebody in the apartment, even though no lights were on, and reported it back to the commander. The officers called for backup at 7pm when they were sure that it was Ichihashi who was home, and within the next hour, seven more officers arrived. Two hours after the nine officers had assembled outside, Ichihashi left the apartment barefoot and wearing a rucksack. The police challenged him and he was made aware that he was possibly the last person to have seen Lindsay before she went missing. He listened intently to what the police had to say to him and then tried to run away from the officers. One officer grabbed his rucksack but Ichihashi dropped it and continued to flee. None of the officers had radios so the officers on the fourth floor where Ichihashi's apartment was could not alert those on the ground that Ichihashi had escaped. Ichihashi eluded the officers by vaulting the last few feet of the stairway to the ground. A short time later, he was rediscovered in the city, wearing a pair of athletic shoes. Police informed him to stop, but he escaped again by zigzagging through the street, the police still in pursuit until he was lost again in the congested streets of Tokyo. The rucksack, which had been stripped off of him, in the initial attempt by police to apprehend him contained his gym clothes which the police believed he was going to wash at the gym. It was also reported that the bag 
contained a significant amount of cash, but this was not confirmed by the police. The police entered Ichihashi's apartment and they searched the property fully. Unfortunately, they found Lindsay's naked body in a bathtub full of sand and soil on the balcony. She had been brutally murdered. Lindsay had been bound and gagged with plastic ties and scarves, with one of her hands lying outside of the mixture. The Hawker family's visit to Japan, which had been planned, was no longer a search for a missing person. It was now going to be the act of bringing the body of a much-loved daughter and sister home to rest. The police, after an initial investigation, revealed a large number of bruises covered Lindsay's upper body, which indicated that she had been subjected to a prolonged attack. Police said there was a number of bruises that were the size of a boiled egg on the left side of her face, and they appeared to have been inflicted with a fist. There was also less prominent marks on her upper body, which resulted from collisions with furniture. She familiar with martial arts, having been trained and reaching the level of black belt. Lindsay's cause of death was when her killer had began strangling her. They had broken a cartilage in her neck. Ichihashi had shaved Lindsay's head post-mortem in one final humiliation. Police found that Lindsay's possessions were thrown across the room. The post-mortem also showed that she had been raped. Ichihashi had actually buried the body in a mixture of sand and compost soil and then sprayed it with a substance used to compact and decompose waste. It is believed that he planned to either bury the body in concrete or wait until it had decomposed and then dispose of it. Ichihashi had brought the materials over the course of six visits to his local hardware store in the hours leading up to the arrival of the police on the 26th of March. During the investigation, police suspected that between Sunday night and early Monday morning, Ichihashi had moved his bathtub from the bathroom to the balcony and put Lindsay's body into it. Neighbours said that they had heard sounds of something striking metal and a heavy object being dragged during that time. It was believed that he used the balcony so that he could mask the smell of the body decaying. On the 27th of March, Bill Hawker and Ryan Garside arrived in Tokyo to make arrangements to take Lindsay's body back to the UK. Bill Hawker had to identify his daughter's body. In an interview that he gave on a 2020 special on investigation discovery, he revealed that this was the hardest thing he'd ever had to do and it still haunted him to this day. The vision 
of Lindsay with a shaved head when all the memories that he had of his daughter were of her long flowing brown hair. On the 29th of March, detectives removed a shopping trolley in which Ichihashi is believed to have transported the bags of horticultural soil that he used to bury Lindsay from his apartment building. That same day, following a tip, 20 police officers raided Hotel Chateau near Nishifunabashi Station and not far from Lindsay's home, but they did not find Ichihashi. The Hotel Chateau was described as a love hotel, but as there's no further information, I will let you use your imagination as to what that means. Frustratingly for the Hawker family, the trail went cold and the investigation stalled. They stated that they were greeted with a polite wall whenever they tried to ask for updates from the police. Pictures and CCTV footage of Ichihashi were shown on news broadcasts in Japan in the hope of apprehending him. UK police officers travelled to Japan assisting with the search and 3,000 wanted posters were distributed around Tokyo. Lindsay's father Bill and her boyfriend Ryan stayed in Japan to raise awareness of the case holding a press conference where Sir Graham Fry, British ambassador to Japan, read out a statement on the family's behalf. On April the 26th, 2007, the funeral, described as a celebration and thanksgiving for her life, was held at Coventry Cathedral and conducted by Reverend Tim Pullin of St Margaret's Church in Wollstone, which is near Rugby. Lindsay's coffin was carried into the building, covered in white lilies. Hundreds of mourners, including Japanese ambassador Yoshiji Nagami, gathered to pay their last respects at the service for Lindsay. Outside the cathedral, a white dove was released as Lindsay's mother and father watched on. The funeral was followed by a private burial. The hawkers wanted to make sure that Lindsay's killer remained at the forefront of everybody's mind and on the 16th of May 2007, Lindsay's parents made a fresh appeal on the BBC's 6 o'clock news in the United Kingdom and as a result, the UK government got involved. The then Foreign Secretary, Margaret Beckett, travelled to Japan on the 23rd of May to appeal to the Japanese media outlets to devote more coverage to the search for Ichihashi, but there was a shortage of leads. The information that was being passed on to the Hawker family was again sparse. So, on the 19th of June 2007, Warwickshire Police flew to Tokyo to help the family liaise with the Japanese police team and, as a result, on the 28th of June, Bill and Julia Hawker made a renewed appeal on Japanese TV, asking for help trying to find their daughter's killer. There was still no success, so on August the 13th, the family launched an email campaign 
circulating a letter titled Don't Forget Lindsay Hawker and asking the recipients for help to catch her killer and to forward it on to as many people as possible. On August the 22nd, Bill and Julia Hawker gave an interview on the ITV show this morning saying they believed that their daughter may have been drugged before being brutally murdered in Ichihashi's flat. There were still no sightings of Ichihashi, so on the sixth month anniversary of Lindsay going missing, the 25th of September, Bill Hawker arrived at Heathrow Airport in West London with hundreds of printed flyers bearing Ichihashi's face, asking travellers to and from Tokyo for help in tracking him down. The family were desperately doing all that they could, but by the end of 2007, they were still no closer to getting justice for their daughter. The Japanese police seemed no further along in their investigation. It was a desperate Christmas for the Hawkers that year. Then, out of the blue, the Japanese police released a new wanted poster of Ichihashi, which included an enhanced image of the suspect disguised as a woman. They also released images of the sketch that he had made of Lindsay, hoping that somebody would recognise his drawing style. In early 2008, police investigated sightings of Ichihashi in the area of Kabukio, which is the entertainment and red light section of Tokyo, and was popular with homosexuals. The new poster meant that the police had received a number of tips from alleged male sexual partners. On March 22nd, Lindsay's family flew to Japan and appealed for new leads on the first anniversary of their daughter's death. Bill Hawker, again, on the advice of Tim Blackman, whose daughter Lucy had gone missing in Japan some years earlier, again stayed and distributed more leaflets around Tokyo. At a press conference, Bill Hawker said, he murdered my daughter and he might murder again. Bill then broke down in tears before adding, I have a dreadful feeling of helplessness and a horrible feeling not being able to do anything. Last time I was here, I banged on the apartment door where she was murdered and I promised Lindsay I'd find her killer. I haven't found him yet, but we won't give up. However, in the latter part of the year, the investigation stalled again. By October 2008, 140 officers were involved in the relatively large investigation. That month, the police suggested that Ichihashi may have committed suicide. Lindsay's father challenged this statement and called this a ploy to scale down the investigation, which some inside sources said was close to coming to a close anyway. Japanese police had told neither the Hawker family 
or the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office that this was going to be the case. Reports speculating about Ichihashi's location continued and, on the 15th of January 2009, an article in Japan Today citing a reporter from the weekly magazine Spa reported that Ichihashi had fled to the Philippines. On the 21st of March, a few days shy of the second anniversary of Lindsay's death, the police released a life-size cutout of Ichihashi to again raise the profile of the case. Although Bill Hawker expressed dismay at the lack of information they had about Ichihashi's whereabouts, he said, we have not come here to criticise the Japanese police. On the 26th of June 2009, the Japanese National Police Agency raised the cash reward for information leading to Ichihashi's arrest from 1 million yen to 10 million yen, which was just under £69,000 or $91,000. In November 2009, the police finally got their breakthrough. Several informants came forward with crucial information. These included a cosmetic surgery clinic in Nagoya, an Osaka Ferry Company employee who reported seeing somebody who resembled Ichihashi, and an employee at an Osaka construction company where a man believed to be Ichihashi had worked for 14 months. This meant that the search moved 320 miles west of the Japanese capital to the city of Osaka. Osaka is a large port city and commercial centre on the Japanese island of Honshu. On the 4th of November 2009, police revealed that Ichihashi had undergone plastic surgery on the 24th of October at a clinic in Nagoya. Nagoya is a city between Tokyo and Osaka and could have easily been a stop-off. They announced that this was where he had had his nose uplifted. He had apparently received cosmetic surgery on several occasions to remove two moles on his cheek, add a fold to his eyelids, thin both lips and increase the height of his nose all before he visited the Nagoya clinic. Police released a press photograph taken immediately before his last surgery. The net was starting to close in on Ichihashi. Finally, on the 10th of November 2009, Ichihashi was captured in Osaka whilst trying to board a ferry to Okinawa. Ichihashi did not confess upon being arrested and, when his 23-day period of detention without charge expired on the 2nd of December, he was initially charged with abandoning a body and served with two more warrants for rape and murder. Ichihashi's lawyers alleged that he was threatened with a death penalty if he did not speak, and his resistance 
was attributed to fatigue and stress. On the 23rd of December, one of his lawyers announced that he had acknowledged that he was involved in Lindsay's death, but he had not intended to kill her, having attempted CPR on her. Whilst on the run, Ichihashi wrote a book titled Until I Was Arrested, which allegedly tells his side of the story, as well as what he was doing whilst evading police capture. Although I have acknowledged its existence, this episode is about Lindsay, so I chose not to use it in any of my research. Ichihashi subsequently offered Lindsay's family all the royalties his book might earn, which the family rejected. So what is known about Lindsay's killer, Tatsuya Ichihashi? Ichihashi was born in Gifu on the 5th of January 1979. He grew up in Gifu as well as in Chiba, which is in East Tokyo. His mother is a dentist and his father is a medical doctor. After graduating from the Department of Horticulture at Chiba University in 2005, Ichihashi did not work and lived on a monthly allowance of about 100,000 yen, which is about £600 or $760 at the time from his parents. Ichihashi was 28 years old at the time of the murder. Ichihashi had no previous convictions, but he had been subject of an allegation of theft and injury six years before Lindsay's death. He had allegedly assaulted a woman on the street during a robbery, but the matter had been settled out of court. Police described him as a loner with an obsession for physical fitness. He regularly attended the gym and cycled 25 kilometers a day. He also had an interest in violent versions of the graphic novels known as manga. Ichihashi had been in a stable relationship for a year with a Japanese woman at the time of Lindsay's killing. Up to 3am on the day of Lindsay's murder, his girlfriend had been at his residence where Lindsay's body would eventually be found. The couple had a heated argument that night and she fled his apartment, but apparently sat fuming in her car for the next two hours in the apartment's parking lot before going home. The next day, she returned in the hope of patching up their relationship and saw that the police had strung up tape to block off the apartment as a crime scene. The sight of the police tape made her feel full of regret. Stephen Green, writing for the Japan Times, said the case, which had been extensively covered by the world's media, was likely to test the fairness of Japan's judicial system. In Japan, it operates a lay judge system. Japan began implementing a new lay judge system in 2009. Lay judges 
are appointed volunteers and often require some legal instruction. However, they are not permanent officers as they only officiate proceedings about once a month and often receive only nominal pay or an amount which covered their costs only. Lay judges are usually used in countries that do not operate juries. Lay judges may be randomly selected for a single trial, like jurors, or politically appointed. In the latter case, they are usually not rejected by the prosecution, the defence or the permanent judges. Lay judges are similar to the magistrates in England and Wales. The Japanese system is unique in that the panel consists of six lay judges chosen randomly from the public together with three professional judges who come together for a single trial like any British or American jury but they all serve as lay judges with the same powers. As with any jury or lay judge system it places a large amount of judicial power on randomly chosen members of the public with the aim of making the judicial process more democratic. Japanese law states its purpose is solely seeking the promotion of the public's understanding of the judicial system and their confidence in it. Japan has the option of the death penalty in certain cases. Japan's method of execution is hanging. However, it is extremely rare in Japan to be sentenced to death for killing only one person. As of 2010, fewer than 10 of the 111 inmates on Japan's death row had killed only one person, including their previous convictions. One extremely interesting piece of information that I found does take us a little off the beaten path from the story, but I would like to share it with you. When researching this, I found an article in the Japan Times, which was an interview with a man by the name of Toshio Sakamoto, who had worked as a prison guard for 27 years. It stated that inmates were executed not by professionals, but by ordinary prison staff who may have been guarding the condemned for months or even years. For their participation in an execution, they received extra pay of 20,000 yen, which is about $180. Toshio Sakamoto said, It's awful. The body bounces like a 70 kilogram object on a nylon rope. Sakamoto, who had witnessed hangings and described the process as unbearable. Blindfolded convicts, usually serial murders, are led to a spot with their feet bound and their hands cuffed. Then a trap door opens below. The mechanism is triggered by a button in the adjacent room pressed simultaneously by several officers, although none of them are told which button is the live one that has caused the prisoner to fall. 
The guards assigned to carry out the executions remember the inmate's body temperature, their breathing, their words from spending so much time with them. But they must do the work, Sakamoto said. And they are not offered any counselling afterwards. They are expected to digest the execution themselves. There is no worse job, he said. The cost of a human life is a hundred thousand yen. This is crazy to think about. In the job that I do, when I have my yearly performance review, there is a section for how we have gone above and beyond. I'm sure that ending a life and having to deal with the guilt afterwards is above and beyond anything that anybody could expect of a public service job. Ichihashi threw himself to the ground in front of Lindsay's family and begged for forgiveness as his trial opened at Chiba District Court on July the 4th, 2011. Whilst acknowledging that he raped and caused Lindsay's death, he denied the murder was intentional. Ichihashi said to the court, I did not intend to murder Lindsay, but I am responsible for her death and I intend to take the blame for it. The trial focused on whether Ichihashi killed Lindsay intentionally or whether it was an accidental death while trying to prevent her from escaping and screaming for help. Ichihashi's motives were extremely selfish and his crimes heinous, the Chiba District Court said in its summing up. The Hawker family had requested the death penalty, but the court felt that the death penalty was inappropriate because Ichihashi had no previous convictions and because of his age of 32, there was still a chance that he could be rehabilitated. The court instead handing down a life sentence to Ichihashi on July the 21st, 2011. Julia Hawker spoke to the Daily Mail in the UK for the first time about the trial shortly after the conclusion. She said, I quote, They called Ichihashi to the witness desk and the judge delivered his verdict, but because there was a delay with the translation, we did not know what he had said. There was about 30 seconds of pure madness as all of the Japanese press jumped up and ran out, but we didn't know what it meant, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. And then the translation came through. Ichihashi was guilty, and they had given him indeterminate life the harshest sentence in Japan other than the death penalty. When they said indeterminate, that was the thing for me. I didn't just want a life sentence. I wanted him to be there until he proves he shouldn't be. I remember Bill looking up to the ceiling and saying, Linz, we've done it for you. And I felt such relief. Now I can go back home 
and remember Lindsay's life and forget about how she died. What sticks in my mind the most is actually part of the evidence which the judges thought wasn't true. He said he was talking to Lindsay when she was tied up in the bath and she said, could I have a cigarette? He said that he was annoyed and he got angry with the request, so he punched her. I remember thinking, he's not human. He's not relating to the fact that my little girl is tied up naked in a bath and she's frightened to death and said, can I have a cigarette? And he's the one who's angry. I just thought, what is wrong with this man? During the most painful moments, as Ichihashi explained how he had raped Lindsay, how he had terrified her, and how she had screamed like an animal, Julia would fix her gaze at some nondescript spot on the wall. She said, I think of something not in the courtroom. I used to just focus on that for a few minutes so that I could get away from the horror. What was so horrific was that he talked about the most loathful things that one human being can do to another in such a monotone, matter-of-fact way. He'd sit there, shaking and dribbling, but he'd show no real emotion. He showed no expression, and that was more scary, really, than what he had done. Over the years, Bill, Julia, Lisa and Louise made countless trips to Japan, printed 10,000 posters and distributed the same number of leaflets. They set up websites and hotlines and even enlisted the help of the Japanese Yakuza. And they did so while receiving hate mail from the public who accused them of enjoying the publicity and cashing in on their daughter's death. In fact, the campaign cost them about £100,000. Bill explained, I've run my own business for 30 years. Julia is a highly valued, hard-working girl. But we're broke. I've cashed in my pension. I had to remortgage, borrow money from Lisa, our credit cards have had it. This has cost us a fortune. In Japan, an offender can offer victims money in return for a reduced sentence. Bill stated, It was very tempting when he is in court saying, I'll give you money. But we don't want it, ever and I don't regret a single penny. Lindsay is priceless. When it became too much, Julia would go back to a picture in her mind, always the same one, of a time long before Ichihashi had entered their lives. She said, It was when the girls were small. Lindsay was ten, Louise about eight, and Lisa was 12, and it was a holiday in Canieles, northern Spain. 
I can always remember Bill sat down with a newspaper and the waves coming in were lapping at his feet and he said this is just about as good as it gets. We had a blow up boat and all three girls could fit into it and we had little paddles for them. It was a beautiful bay. I remember thinking my life will never get any better than this. I am so happy. And I cried. And it stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I also remember thinking, whatever else happens, I've had this day. The Hawker family gave the following statement after the trial. You will first hear the words of Bill Hawker and then those of Lindsay's eldest sister, Lisa. This has been a long, hard battle for the Hawkers. And the battle is over. We've worked tirelessly as a family. We've never given in for our daughter. We've never given in. We wanted justice and we've finally got justice. I'll also just like to thank the Japanese police. After a very bungled start to my daughter's murder, they've got their man. They've worked tirelessly and they've eventually got the man. And the chief officer told me they would get the man sooner or later. We're just so relieved that this part of our life is over. I can go down to my daughter's grave this afternoon and tell her. Thank you. Mr Bill, I'd just like to say, you know, I'd like to echo what my parents have said, but also I hope that our case um, kind of gives other families some kind of hope. Um, we thank the Japanese press, we thank the Japanese people, but really, it's us that have done this. We haven't given up. Love not it. from day one, all the sleepless nights, all the not eating, all the crying, all the tears, it's all been worth it now. And we've got what we wanted, which was justice for Lindsay. The dream of starting a new life abroad turned into the ultimate nightmare for an entire family. So I guess that's it for another week. Again, Thank you everyone that is spending their time listening to me. I love every single one of you. Please remember, if you enjoy the show or want to know more, please follow us on Twitter, at True Crime Fix Pod. That's at True Crime Fix Pod on Twitter. Or look out for our Facebook page, True Crime Fix Podcast. That's True Crime Fix Podcast on Facebook. Or... There is a closed group, True Crime Fix Discussion. That's True Crime Fix Discussion, which is a closed group. I'll be posting information about the week's case on there. I will also be posting things on Facebook in particular for a much more interactive experience. I plan to do a Q&A session soon potentially after episode 12 when I had planned for my season to be over. 
So if you want to know anything about any of the cases that we've covered so far, feel free to contact me. Please, if you have any suggestions for the show, please contact me at True Crime Fix Podcast. That's True Crime Fix Podcast at gmail.com. I especially want to hear any cases that anybody would like me to cover in the future. I'm also asking if you don't mind giving me five minutes of your time to leave a review on your podcast directory. I don't like asking for it, but if you don't mind, it would be extremely appreciated. Until next time, stay safe, look after each other, and live life to the fullest, because you never know who or what might be coming around the next corner. Take care, everyone.